Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we, man, we're a little late on this one, but Nate, you were off in Disneyland. I was. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll cover the effects of a week at Disneyland on your training in, a, in the next uh, episode of the podcast. But this one is focused on Carson City Off-Road. And we're going to uh, be accountable to all the things that we did. Uh, you'll get to hear how we did. And also, we're going to share everything that we learned. And, and hopefully, this can help you in your next race. Uh, so I guess uh, first things to recap, if you haven't listened to, or if you don't know what we're talking about here, uh, go back and you can listen to, I believe it was episode 100, where we actually went through and did a detailed breakdown of how we were going to prepare for this. And you can see that episode. And then you can listen to how it actually went. Uh, so I did a 50 mile version of this race. You two did a 35 mile version of this race. The 50 mile was three laps. The 35 was two laps. Uh, we started early in the day. We feared heat, and heat was absolutely brutal. Major was it not? <laughs> yeah, I it cooked me. Um, it was really rough. I I ended up. Let's go over how we did uh, first. My goal, like my moonshot, was four hours and thirty minutes, and the winning time in mine, I think, was four twenty nine. So. I was pretty close to what I thought what it was going to take. So I'm proud of that part, but I didn't finish there. So, <laughs> uh, the, I said, I expected to be somewhere around four, four to five fifteen, And I ended up at five Oh three ninth overall sixth in my division, normalized power of only 191 Watts. That said something I should cover is I didn't zero my power meter. And the other time before that, that I had zeroed my power meter, it was freezing cold. Uh, I just actually zeroed it on this, this, uh, I guess just, uh, the, this weekend. And it was a difference of nearly 30 Watts, uh, during my workout once I zeroed it. So who knows where that normalized power would actually Yeah, So sit. let that be a lesson to you. If you don't zero your power meter, good chance you're going to basically throw all that data away. Yep. Zero your power meter every single ride. Yep. And if it, the temperature changes a lot, you should change it again. Let's cover or how to zero it again. Let's cover how to zero really quick on a stages. You have to have your, uh, the crank arm with the power meter on it down pointing at six o'clock. Like it would be like a clock hand. That's the only one that I know of that you have to do that. No yeah. pressure on the pedals. And yeah. Unclip completely. And then you have to use your head unit to calibrate. So you basically mm -hmm. calibrate. It has to be in that position and you hit calibrate, wait for a bit. It'll give you a value. Those values are more or less um, for our purposes, being the rider, almost arbitrary to a certain extent. It doesn't mean that if, you know, you had 800 before and then an offset value of 830, that doesn't mean that your power meter was 30 Watts off. That isn't like wattage directly. That's just the slope offset that it's, that's measuring there. So, but mine was, uh, probably not accurate there, but 191 normalized 142. One average. thing, a couple more things about calibration. If you have, uh, if it goes from 800 and then the next time it goes to like negative 1500, that might be an indication that your power meter is broken. You're mm -hmm. expecting like changes, small changes, especially if there isn't a, a big temperature difference every time you calibrate. Mm -hmm. But when it has those huge changes, then you get on and everything feels right, wrong, everything feels right, everything mm -hmm. feels wrong, you might need to send it back to the manufacturer and I would contact your manufacturer. The other thing about quarks is you can actually um, calibrate them, at least you used to be able to, I would double check this before you, I haven't looked recently, but uh, you can, uh, backpedal five times, and that will zero your power meter. Pretty much every other power meter, you have to be uh, unclipped. And with the cork, you can do this too, and calibrate it. With Trainer Road, you can just hit the calibrate button, be unclipped. Only the stages is the only one that I know that has to be at six o'clock. With the cork, when you backpedal, do you have to be on the calibration screen? No. Okay. 
It's just an automatic. Right. It's supposed to, if just whenever you're riding, you yeah, can do it. I think Power2 Max does that too. Yeah. Or anytime sh- it's unloaded. Check your manufacturer's manual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm sure that we're about to have a whole mm-hmm. lot of different uh, calibration procedures with so many new different power meters becoming available and, and you know, within, you know, recent the, times. The important thing is that you do it every ride. Yes. Not like Jonathan said. Yeah. Because then you have power bad. data that you have no clue, right? And also, like, for example, I, I see or I, the, the data shows that I had 2,584 kilojoules. But if my power meter's off, that's not an accurate representation of that. So that's another good point, especially like think if it was way off and you were planning your 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 fueling strategy based yeah. off of that, right? Off of just purely kilojoule expenditure. Yeah, that would be that would be tricky. So uh, that's that's how I ended up. Nate, how do you do? Um, so I was doing so awesome. <laughs> I was doing, Nate had a good day. I, well, no, I, I, I had a good day until I didn't have a good day. <laughs> so again, it was really hot and I was, I was doing well. We had, we'll talk more about it, but we were debating where to, how many, how much water to bring. And I remember the, the, the podcast before, um, Chad's like, you don't you drink too much water. You don't need that much water. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to try it. And, uh, I drank probably half the amount or less than I usually do. How many bottles did you drink? I, 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 no, wait, let's let's backtrack a second. I don't know if I criticized your water intake. I'm, I, hydration, I go crazy. Drink whatever you want. It's nutrition. I, I think you eat oh, too much. I don't, yeah, yeah. I I don't think, think I've so. ever said you drink too much. I think that's mm-hmm. all based on how hot you are, how hard you're working, what your you know, sweat rate is. We there are too many things to, to influence that. I'm too lazy to go listen back to all the episodes, <laughs> but I know someone is listening to this on a car trip and has listened to like, Four months of stuff yeah, yeah, within yeah. like four they're hours. To it. Right? They're, they're doing the like, yeah, they're they're binging so, right yeah, now. Yeah, but I wouldn't criticize a hydration strategy. That's okay. just if he has, I'd let do. me know. Nate at trainerroad.com. <laughs> I can play it back for him. But I, I, I agree. I, I know for 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 sure you think I eat too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had uh, a little over three bottles, but it was like really super hot. And I think on that day I would normally have like seven. Lost and found. I think I had seven, and it wasn't even hot. So and to to cover, you finished in three fifty five. That was your time. So you were out there for nearly four hours and you had three bottles, right? Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, that's not good. I, yeah. I had way more than that. The aid stations too were kind of placed. The first aid station was way too early. I wasn't even. Yeah, yeah. It was like. Well, when our race took off, there was no there was, there was no aid station there. Oh, really? And then the second aid station that you got to, once we got to it, there were two people and they were standing there and they went, uh, because they didn't have anything. <laughs> so it was kind of kind of tricky. Yeah. The, I went, ended up going the first whole lap with just, you know, one mm-hmm. bottle and then ended up, it was, it was tricky. So well, well, let's circle back to what we should have done, but yeah. I'll just say what I did. So um, I was doing well and I was climbing well and I was putting actually time on chat on the climb and on the first ascent which was pretty amazing. And there's reasons for that on both sides of us of why Chad was slower than he should be and I was faster than I usually am. Uh, but on the, the there's this little like six minute climb before the last ascent. And I had a cramp so bad that my heel got stuck to my, my bottom. I had to get off the bike and I couldn't move my leg at all. And then my other leg was cramped up about halfway, but I couldn't move it at all. And I was laying on the side, single track. Is that the and, first time you've cramped that hard? Yes. Oh, welcome to my world, buddy. That's that, that that there are times where I've had to sit on my bike for three or four minutes or basically fall on the grass. I mean, this is mm-hmm. it's not an uncommon occurrence in my world. So I sat there and I knew I was ahead of Chad. This is at the very end of the race. 
And uh, I'm sitting there, and some lady was very nice, and she gave me a whole, like, 24-ounce bottle. And I drank that thing really quickly. And then I saw Chad go by about two minutes later, and I still couldn't <laughs> Hold on, hold up. here. What did you think when you saw him in a heap on the ground? <laughs> That's that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, this is three hours and 45 minutes into the race, or three hours and 35 minutes or something. I was literally, if I could have lasted two more minutes on that climb. Yeah, honestly, that climb right there, and then the little kicker that got you onto the final single track stretch was a brute. You could have walked it, although getting off your bike when you're in that state it w w probably would have cramped you just as hard. Oh, yeah. I don't so you, you had, that one. You were very close. Is what I was I'm very saying. close because uh, after that part two, that final descent, I had sessioned that part with Jonathan a yeah. few times. And I, out of all my descents, I was the fastest there. Yeah. Well, right. and also like, and, and, and to be fair too, that's uh, definitely like the least technical spot most wide open, yeah. fastest. Except for that whoop that um, basically knocked me down the first time and challenged me greatly the second time. Oh, the, time. the thing coming out of it? You, you're supposed to pump on that thing, and I have not yet mastered or even <laughs> close to figured out the whole pumping thing. And so it, let's talk me. about what's the whoop and what's a pump. What's the whoop first? It was just a just two sets of rollers really tightly packed, and the second one was super steep, and there was a photographer set up there, so I knew <laughs> something was coming. Right at the end of the trail when you come out of it, you kind of drop down into the pit. Then you Oh, that's out. where there's like the jump that you said. Yep. Sometimes jump and I yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not ready for it, you jump whether you want to or not. Yeah, yeah. I remember I've jumped that before, but I I've done that one so many times, I know. And Jonathan, what what should you do to be fast? Yeah, so something like that. It's it's uh some people call these a bonsai. That's like an old school BMX term, but basically it's a big pit and you drop into the pit, you kind of roll up and drop into the pit, and then you jump out of it. And it's not like um there's no gap or anything else like that. It's just basically you come out and it's pretty steep and then it's a gradual down coming out of it. So the the thing to do is to carry as much speed but to soak up the lip. So basically what you do is it's not as much about pumping because if you're pumping for momentum, you would get more air and there's no need to catch air anytime that you're in the air instead of on the ground that's usually going slower so you want to stay on the ground as much as you can so in this case you just think of your limbs as extra suspension so when you go over that jump you end up soaking up as much of that as possible with your body and that way you don't leave the, the ground too much and you stay on it and you keep rolling downhill going fast but then you're torn between the the desire to actually get a little air yeah. and, and kind of enjoy it. But yeah. then there's just so much so true. much it's speed still, going into that one. Yeah. If I, th I find it enjoyable if you're going fast and you do, I'm going to say pump it. I don't know if that's yeah. the right term, but if you do it right, it feels so smooth oh, and yeah. effortless. Sure. And it's and it's like this really, it's like a, or just on roller coasters at Disneyland. It feels yeah. like a roller coaster. It does. Actually, it feels, it can feel better than all the roller coasters at Disneyland because you're hitting more Gs. For sure. <laughs> yeah. The Lee McCormick, when he comes, who's a mountain bike coach, pretty famous, um, his big thing is row and anti-row, and this is exactly what he talks about, is when, when you come up the uphill, um, you're kind of, you're bringing the bars closer to your chest, and, and then when you go over the top, you're pushing down. So that's that suspension part that Jonathan mm -hmm. talked about, mm -hmm. where you're adding like, you're pushing energy kind of into the hill, and then you're not in the air. Plus, the the, the landing wasn't safe on this one yeah, for the, a big jump. The tricky part is, so going into that one, I think that my speed coming into that section, the fastest speed that I've had through there is about 32 miles an hour. So that's, that's really fast, right? Yeah. And if I went off of that thing without any type of body English trying to soak it up, I probably would have traveled down toward the giant boulders that are below that section because you yep. cross a road shortly thereafter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, you have to you have to be judicious about that. So finishing my race um, after 
a few minutes and the lady was like, oh, I'll massage your leg. And I was like, no, what are you doing? Um, I, uh, I, I, I waited there for a very long time. And then, you know, I, I got up and finished the race and hobbled in and was very disappointed. Uh, but that was my race. And this was my time. Chad was vulnerable. Yeah. You know, this is probably the most vulnerable state you'll catch Chad in. Oh, no. Right? There's more. <laughs> no, I, I can I'm assure take you him, this was it. I'm going to take him drinking. Yeah. we. <laughs> that's actually, yeah, that, that's, that's a, a, a That doesn't always work, though. Sometimes I ride better hungover. So so what what caused your, or how did your race unfold, Chad, in terms of uh, the things that you learned, whether yeah. you did well? Or in terms not? of performance, felt pretty good. Um, rode conservatively. Didn't push any of the climbs, really, because I knew the heat was going to catch up with me at some point. Smart man. Um, I didn't drink a whole lot. I drank a bottle and a half. Part of that was due to the fact that I lost my bottle on the first lap just uh just a silly mistake trying to put it into my pocket because the uh cage the side pull cage underneath the yeti is so hard to reach even on a flat road it was impossible to reach on on anything other than a flat road they're really hard to just bottle cages underneath are just like i see a lot of people using them and in my mind if i have a bottle underneath that's like like i told you guys mm-hmm. before and that's kind of like, that's like my stop bottle if I'm stopped, I can grab it. Yep. And otherwise, I don't trust myself because I might oh, make a bottle so and drop it. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. I mean, and, and fighting the, the... And we should be clear, this isn't just a um, a, a, a Yeti thing specifically. No, but just a... They're, they're SB bikes, the ones with the Switch Infinity. There's no room for a bottle, which is common like if you have, I think, uh, Evil bikes. There's a lot of different bikes that... They don't allow a bottle cage inside on the trail enduro side of things. So I could uh, I could grab mine, mm-hmm. but it was hard and it was dangerous. That's the point. That's mm-hmm. the point I was going to make is I, I would almost fall over even on a flat road. It was such an unnatural position to get into and you had to reach down there and you're right next to your front tire that's rolling pretty fast. It's Yeah, if you have a bike that has, uh, for example, our Crux has three uh, spots to m- mount bottle cages. One of them is underneath. And that's another thing, even though you may be able to mount it underneath, another thing to remember, just if you can, uh, think of that as your reserve bottle when you're stopped to use type of a thing mm-hmm. like that. You'll move that fluid into something else or move that bottle out. Um, no matter what, bottle cages underneath, it's always a little tricky to, to grab when you're riding. Oh, so anyway, I, um, I did get a replacement bottle in an aid station, had to stop for a couple minutes, and a woman found hers, which is basically like a hard plastic Nalgene bottle. So now my drinking uh, option was to unscrew the lid, take a gold, oh, God. screw the lid back on, put it in my pocket. So hydration was a bit of a challenge. I don't think it was a factor, though. Um, mm. And then, like I said, fitness was fine. I'm still getting used to a new bike. That That's a big part of it. And and I, I attributed my downhill issues, which I had a hell of a time on the downhill, to improper bike fit. And I, I think it's really just a matter of I'm riding my bike wrong. I'm treating it like a, a road bike or a cross-country bike. My position's super high. Um, I've worked on it since on a couple rides, and Jonathan's helping me. Mm-hmm. And it's making a world of difference. So I think it's really just a matter of learning to exploit the, the new technology. I come from a background where the mountain bikes were not nearly as evolved as they are these days and they were ridden differently mm-hmm. so i'm just kind of trying to wrap my brain around that and it's uh, it's coming along could you see me up ahead on the switchbacks like my jersey oh i couldn't see anything uh, all i could see was a trail in front of me i wasn't looking around i could i'd look down and i'd see mm-hmm. you because our jerseys are easy to spot <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh gosh here he comes <laughs> yeah no on those downhills there was no threat to anybody no not the downhills i, I the struggled uphills. oh yeah on, i could see you yeah again oh, conservative which, too, pacing proud of myself i did better on the downhills and i made all the switchbacks but one nice job um and the one was because i was tired one second here let's mm-hmm. just cover these are not easy switchbacks they're 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 pretty tough they're super tight. sharp some of them drop directly off a cliffside yes so there's yeah. two okay so there's the uphill and the downhill yeah. the uphill 
I think I could make those. They, some of them were pretty tight, but they weren't covered in rocks and roots. They were smooth. Yeah. So that was I could do that, and I went in the right entry, and that was awesome. So I, what? So you entry. just covered a couple things, uh, the the entry side of things. But what has helped you do better on switchbacks? Because that's a common thing I think for a lot of people that start mountain biking is switchbacks are really tough. Yeah, I think what we're talking uphill at this moment. Uphill uh, this yeah, moment. let's talk uphill. Yeah. The difference that I would do is uh, one is having more weight on my front wheel, so I have that longer stem. And I think that helps a lot is getting it on there because before what I've done is I've, I've done a tight switchback and my front, front wheel, wheel has washed, up. yeah, just washed out. Mm -hmm. And then, then I get scared. The other thing is, uh, when I go up there at the very, at the very end, I've actually watched videos of you doing this, Jonathan, you don't go as fast as I thought pros were doing it. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that people would just go it so fast, but you would actually sometimes at the top, it, it does slow down a lot for good people. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be okay with that. And I wouldn't freak out as much. And I'd kind of hold it through longer. And my front wheel would pick up just a little bit on some of the steep ones. And that would scare me a little bit. But I just keep pedaling. So my I wouldn't bail out as quickly. Mm -hmm. And I just go through it and I made it. And that combined with the more weight on my front wheel where where before I would do that and it would, just, it would wash out. Are you taking a really wide outside line? Yeah, I'd do a wide, either a wide outside line and like an early exit. So... I'd either go wide the whole time or go wide and try to cut it in really quickly. Outside in or yeah. outside outside. If mm -hmm. not the opposite though. Right. Yeah, That's yeah. the worst. Yeah, yeah never absolutely. never enter inside. Well, I shouldn't say never. Sometimes there are objects in the turn that will force you to enter in a different way. But uh, assuming that there are no objects impeding your lines, you always want to enter wide because uh, that just gives you more to choose from uh, later on in the turn, allows you to carry more speed through, that sort of thing. And then on the on the downhill switchbacks. Um, so I did unclip my foot every time, but I don't, I wasn't, people were next to me and I wasn't losing time on them mm -hmm. and I could, I didn't have to stop. I would unclip. I don't even think my foot always even touched the ground, but I would just be there hanging in case it did. And I would be more aggressive on the turn. And, uh, maybe once or twice, like it would wash a little bit and my foot would hit. That basically describes my downhills or my downhill switchbacks. Anytime I dangled that foot, it made all the difference and I didn't lose time on people. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's uh, usually a sign because when you're dangling your foot like that, really what you're doing is redistributing your weight. Yeah. You're also giving yourself kind of a, a, a mental crutch in a lot of situations. Like I'm ready just in case something goes kind off. I'm an actual crutch too, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Because <laughs> yeah, it lets you commit to things more if you feel like my foot's there just in case. And, uh, but the main thing that you're doing is you're redistributing your weight. And usually what you end up doing in this case, if you unclip your other foot and it's dangling, you put, remember when we talked about more weight on that outside leg, mm -hmm. you end up putting all your weight on that leg, right? So when you do that, it ends up putting you in a situation where you have much more traction because you're putting that weight on the outside and that ends up pushing the bike straight down so that you get more bite on the tread that's on the ground. So. The only thing that I could lose time with that strategy is if I didn't clip in right away. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty good all the time. I think maybe once or twice uh, you didn't clip in, then it was like rock garden, and that was kind of yep. sketchy. Yeah. But cross has helped to clip in quickly. And, mm -hmm. and something else with that too, when you're, uh, the, you know, sometimes you may uh, unclip your foot just because you are drifting through the turn. And I know that that's not, um, that's frowned upon generally because it usually does harm to the trail, that sort of a thing. But there are certainly a lot of situations, actually, even on this course, there were two turns where every lap I came through and I actually had one foot out and I was, uh, drifting both wheels into the turn and uh, having that foot out just allowed me to have an outrigger and redistribute that balance even more. So uh, kind of like a motocross look, if you can picture that. So so can we talk about, wait, so we, do we, did we get your overall stats yet, Chad? Um, no, uh, let's go over that real quick. Um, 
23rd overall, 15th in my division. I'm neither of which I'm proud of, but I'm not embarrassed either. 215 watts normalized, 161 average, 2200 kilojoules. And what's important to point out here is that for all of us, the normalized power on a mountain bike race, especially one that's basically up or down, there wasn't a whole lot that wasn't that didn't fall in that except for the, the flat road section, the paved section. Um, th that normalized power really doesn't tell much of a story at all. I mean, if we were to go out right now and ride for just a little under four hours at 215 watts, both Nate and I would be breathing through our nose. Um, it, it wouldn't exact the same sort of stress, but as it was, we finished this race crushed. So, so that, that, uh, normalized power isn't very telling. Yeah. I was emotionally crushed. <laughs> I was so close. So his overall time was, uh, 348.32, and mine was 355. That's pretty close, man. Uh, well, if I didn't, I know I was ahead of him. So oh, if you didn't cramp, done it, God, if you didn't God. cramp. Yeah, oh. we didn't cramp. So let's talk about that. We've talked about before cramping being a not fit enough, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This one, I, I usually do think that. I really think I just didn't have any water in my system. I've never been so dry mouth riding my bike. Really? Just dead. Yeah, uh. it was awful. Um, and my normalized power, like lost and found would be a good, another one where it was kind of up or down. Yeah. Um, a little more flat and lost and found, but yeah. I wasn't. A lot more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't, but I wasn't do, um, putting out way more power than lost and found. Right. I look at my 20 minute average power was like 283 or something. Yeah, I still see this. that as being far more taxing though, because those downhills were pretty punishing. You couldn't oh, just yeah. sail them. You had to work the whole time. You really did. So yeah. When we do single track six, I'm going to hydrate more, but in my brain, I'm thinking, I know I, I didn't, I, at least mentally, mm -hmm. in my brain, it, so this is something like, I think mentally I didn't drink enough, so maybe that was a mental, um, I, I kept my performance lower because I thought that it would keep my performance lower. You know what I mean? Like a, a yeah. what do they call it, placebo. It, yeah. it, but it's still four hours of continuous stress. I mean, the, the rest time on that course was minimal. I can't think mm -hmm. of a single spot where it felt like, oh, I'm reinvigorated. That's, yep. Yeah, and that's that's the challenge of mountain biking in almost every situation. It's very rare in a mountain bike race that you would have any time to rest. Uh, th this course we covered beforehand, it had, uh, if you actually added it up, not just to the finish, but the whole section of pavement, it had nearly three miles of pavement each lap. Those three miles were not just cruising. Those oh, oh, no. no. Can I describe my three miles on the pavement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so at the end of the, the first lap, where I get down there, and I almost crashed before. There's actually a podcast listener, Wesley, behind me. And at the very bottom of the uh, the fast descent, it, the trail kind of switches into tr two sections. One is a smooth line that you can take on the out. Another one is a straight line that you go through a rock garden. Mm -hmm. I took the smooth line. Wesley took the straight line. And he kind of got out at the same time as me. So <laughs> I had to hit the brakes, but it's a little bit sandy there. Yeah, yeah. Tail, fish tail, you know, both tires kind of drifting. That might and have I'm, been your mark I saw in the sand right there. There's like a massive serpentine mark through there. That was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going, and Nate Wesley goes, I didn't know it was a podcast listener. Wesley goes, are you the guy with the broken collarbone? <laughs> I said, yep, I'm a madman. I don't know why I said I'm a madman, but yeah, yeah. it looked crazy right there. Okay, I'm a confession. I got that same comment on a downhill, which was a bit humiliating. <laughs> are you the guy with the broken collarbone? Yep, and I had to say, nope, but I'm descending like it. <laughs> um, not me. Um, so anyways, we get to the... Uh, we get to the, the road section, and the road, it's slightly downhill. So as we know, listening back, you don't want to pull on a slightly downhill uh, section. We're on mountain bikes. Uh, Wesley and I move up, and we're with, like, a guy who's probably young 20s. Uh, then it's Wesley, me, and then a guy behind us, a group of four. The guy in the front, he's pulling. He moves his arms into, like, the, the roadie thing where, like, you drape your, 
your elbows on the front handlebar. So your forearms are resting on the center portions of the bar pretty much, and your your wrists and hands are limp over the front. Yeah, you you, you don't have any, like, you're not touching, holding your handlebars. Such a bad idea. And you're going, uh, you guys might know where I'm going with this. Um, (laughs) You're going extremely fast, right? Because you're downhill. Even on the mountain bikes, we're going pretty fast. Yeah, and that section on on the road, I was going nearly, I was going like high 20s. Yeah. Low 30s, so. Um, and so he, 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 he pulls the side once and looks at us, but he just decides he wants to pull the whole time and he knows we're behind him. Right. So we're going through and, uh, at the end, there's people telling you which way to go, uh, on one of the turns, he misses it and he goes through it. Mm -hmm. And instead of like slowing down slowly, he gets out and jams on the brake so hard that he skids. So we're in a pace line going like 26, 27. Oh. And he starts skidding. Wesley in front of me, he reacts and he skids. He hits the guy, oh. goes down. This is so this is mountain bike, closed course. <laughs> this is just like a smooth asphalt road. This is the very end of the race, too. Or no, is this, this is the, the first, first lap. lap. Yeah. Oh gosh. There's nothing. Like if a place where you shouldn't crash, this is it, right? Yeah. So the guy jams on the brakes. I am not actually drafting close because I was scared. And I even thought in my head, I'm like, of all the places to draft, this is probably the safest because how could you fall, well, right? it is. It is the safest. Yeah, because yeah. you, you hit like a, uh, yeah. a manhole cover or something, the mountain bike's going to eat it up. You're not even going to know, yep. right? There, there's, there's, no, yeah. there's no way we could crash. Wesley goes down. <laughs> I Luckily, I have enough room where I can swerve out of the way. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The guy behind me doesn't go down. Wesley, luckily, he um, he like landed like a cat and slid on his hands and his <laughs> shoes. Ow. Didn't get any cut up at all. Wow. He slid on the ground. His gloves were okay. Um, he got right back up. Crazy. And we went. Wow, good on you. The guy in the front, I didn't even hear him say sorry. He just kind of went to the back of the pack and kept his head down. <laughs> As he should. <laughs> like he knew That's what just, he was doing wrong. But let, that let, got Let's my heart cover going. that really quick. Like... Uh, even on road in that situation, like Pete Morris, uh, I've talked to him about that plenty of times. And he said, rather than put myself in this vulnerable situation like that, where my hands are just resting over the front. If I put myself in a situation where I can be just as arrow, but my bike fits set up so that I can be on the hoods and have control in that situation, mm-hmm. that'd be much better. And it's, it's, it really is true. And on a mountain bike, especially in most cases, you have a shorter stem or a shorter reach in a lot of situations like that because to the handlebars like that. So as a result, you have this short stem when you're, when your forearms are not like in the front portion sitting on the bars, but toward the rear portion, you really don't have a lot holding you back on the bike. You there's just want there's to nothing forward. about it that makes sense. It's posturing. It's, it's, I want to show how relaxed I am. Exactly. I want to show how well I handle my bike. I want to maybe get in people's heads or I just want to look cool. Yeah. It's it, not, it's not useful. No, it's really not dangerous stuff. But in this situation, it, that wasn't what crashed him. He jammed on the brakes. <laughs> no, but I think that the- I think that it was what crashed him because if he was in a situation where he actually had his controls within reach, I guarantee you he could have reached. He could have reacted instantly with he those brakes. On the brakes one half a second sooner, wouldn't have had to clamp exactly down as, right. as viciously. But as when you when you're in a situation where you have to move your body, put your hands into position. And then instantly you're going to jam on the brakes like that. You aren't going to have control and modulation. So you're going to go down. I agree. I, I think that if he was in a situation where he had it, even if he wasn't paying attention, not a good idea. I, I overshot still. the same turn, missed it, had to come back, actually slipped from 12th to 13th yeah. of no consequence. But, you know, I lost a spot because I was daydreaming. Yeah. It's just it, that that's a. But my hands were on the brakes and I modulated them. I didn't lock them yeah. up. But I think in this situation, what he should have done in the pace line, even if he was in the with his arms draped, he should have got up, sat up, not even touched it, 
like put his arm up and been like, hey, I'm gonna, I missed it. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah, that's and what then you done, start yeah. a turn and slow down then. Yeah, of course. That's what yeah. you should do. Yeah. So don't, anyways, don't that was a heart stopper yeah. and very scary. But other than that, I, I mean, I, I didn't crash at all, but that was the only, that was the scariest part of the whole race for me. So what about nutritionally, Nate? What'd you eat? Um, I did the honey stinger uh, gels, which I really like. Chews. 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 Sorry. And the pink lemonade. And Jonathan, I gave you some of those. They were lifesavers. They're good, right? Yeah. So um, on mine, I, I had uh, the last lap in the same spot where you cramped, Nate. I had a bad crampy moment. Uh, I had to get by some some lappers and getting around them required going through bushes. And when you go through bushes, the tricky thing is when you're in such a fatigue state like that and you go through a bush, something like that on a mountain bike, you have to use a lot of muscles you wouldn't use otherwise. And that's all the other muscles. Those are what cramped up on me. <laughs> and uh, I ended up having to get off the bike uh, because I was standing and I was trying to pedal through, but it was just so much they were locking up. And as soon as I felt the cramps come on though, I grabbed, I had four of those things in a Jersey pocket and I just loaded them in my mouth. And I thought, taste something, focus on something else. And you know what? It worked. I'm telling you, that's what it's all about. It worked. So it got rid of them after about uh, a minute or so. Uh, they, they completely disappeared and yeah. I'm going to keep Tapatio or Sriracha little packets yeah. in so my jersey. So those TRP channels, I mean, more than anything else, I've found the most uh, consistency with those. Mm -hmm. I mean, to the point where <clears throat> I'll be walking around my house battling foot cramps for an hour after a ride and I can't do anything about it. Go in the kitchen, dab a little bit of hot sauce, put it on my tongue. Works like a charm. And whether... I, I just can't see that being placebo. There has to be something more to that. Well, they were, they've done studies now, yeah, right? Yeah, the TRP where channels. They don't know exactly why, but they've seen well, they, a They do. They have, a, they have a good theory. Theory, those yeah. Those transient receptor potential channels that, that does hold water. Yeah. So I think that's a good example or a good takeaway is I should just take a little like Tapatio packet or Sriracha, both spicy, mm -hmm. and you could, or even like a, I don't well, know if it's spicy enough, but a Taco Bell, little like spicy hot sauce one. Just the, just the gels work for me. Well, we not talked the about gels, but just the chews work for me. Exactly. Was, I mean, that's something that distracts something. those, those, uh, those messages, those two persistent messages to your muscles. And Nate, we theorized with him that it wasn't so much the water as the cold of the water in his mouth. You know, again, Theory, but so far it seems yeah, to be holding, it, holding water. I just needed a taste. And sh these are a little bit more tangy than some because they're pink lemonade. So who knows? Maybe that's a powerful taste and it's more effective. I don't know. But uh, I just threw those things in and they work just as fine. I didn't need to have hot sauce. Because the one thing I can think of is if I had hot sauce, it'd probably get all phlegmy and spitty and ugh, it'd be gross. I, but so while I'll, riding, you know. I also did the hun honey stinger waffles, which I enjoy. I brought a pro bar, but I actually didn't eat it. And after reading the ingredients on that, I'm not sure if the pro bar meal is a good during the race, high intensity meal because it's mostly bit nuts. high in fat and protein. Yeah, too. And I, I think it has fiber too, right? It's hard I, I to noticed. it's hard to break down when you're working really hard like that. It's yeah. a substantial meal bar. Yeah, I was thinking that it would it'd be better if what I actually thought in my brain is we'll do a future episode about single track six, but I'm worried already, of course, <laughs> about recovery on that for six days, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking recovery drink. And then there's going to be amount of time before we get back to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And that next one that I do, if I, we don't get back to the hotel for three hours, might be a pro bar meal bar then. Mm -hmm. then. And then that's where I have the That's when they fat. make the most sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because that's what I had. I had a pro bar and then maybe a, a third of another. And first off, the whole uh, keeping them in the bag, bag opened, but keeping them quartered, bad idea. Just take them out of the bag, put them in your pockets. Again, mountain biking is not road riding. You yeah. need you need it quick. I mean, real quick. And fishing in a in a little bag in your back pocket isn't quick. I ended up um, just cutting the top off 
of it so that yeah, it was a little I bit did. was sticking it was still, out. It was still a little hard for and me it, to get back there and get it out of the package. Chad and I both, for me. I, I saw him, he opened up two edges of his package before mm-hmm. and then quartered them and that was still difficult. It's still too difficult. I mean, screw it, I'm going to wash my jersey anyway. So if it gets a little funky, I mean, it's 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 a race situation. I'm not out there to enjoy, you know, hope because we ain't cuisine. Yeah. I just want something that's going to keep me powered and not, not find me bonking with an hour left in the race. I can't get my jerseys dirty. That would be a very bad thing. Yeah, Jonathan. <laughs> um, I also found though that my my nutrition, and I did that carb loading stuff before. My legs, besides the cramping, it's this sounds weird, but I, I didn't have that feeling where my legs ever got really tired. It was my gosh, this is really hot, hot, and uh, I was breathing hard. Yeah, and then I was suddenly like cramping all like from groin to knee. Yeah, <laughs> on yeah. both sides. Yeah, it was weird. It wasn't the quad. It wasn't the hamstring. Yeah, it was inside the medial portion of your leg, right? That's same, where mine was. Same here. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that temperature was going to allow us to work that hard. It was. It was so rate limiting. I mean, we couldn't. You couldn't drill those climbs without overheating inside of a minute. Oh, and the temperature. My Garmin says got up to ninety five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah, and these are guys who, who have been riding indoors with with fans trained on them. The outdoor stuff we've done, I mean, even Lost and Found was pretty cool. Yeah, I've but, tried. I've tried well, as hard as I could to get in hot rides, but it's been a rough year for us for hot rides. It's just been so cold. Let, so yeah, let's, let's talk about the heat thing in a second before we go through the rest of it. Yeah. But the a good a good point, what we'll segue into this in a, in a little bit, is that we had no hot – this was the first hot day of the year for us, mm-hmm. and we could have done things to improve that. Um I also noticed that on the second lap, my descending times were much, much slower than the first lap. Mm-hmm. And that is because I uh, I was so tired. My upper body was tired. Mm-hmm. My whole body was tired. I was dehydrated. And it's amazing. I think it, I lost like four minutes on the second descent compared to my first descent. Still descend faster man. than Chad. That but, is a lot. But it's – maybe it's not four minutes, but it's yeah. – I have to look on Strava. It's, it's enough where uh, – actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to correct that. Uh, I don't know how much slower it was right now because my time, um, I, I've just looked at small segments, but the overall segment doesn't count because I had that stop on the bike uh, where yeah, I was cramped. Yeah, okay. But I was losing time. I, was, I, went, I went much faster the first lap. And that's a point that people don't understand, right? Is that mm-hmm. descending takes a lot of work. And that's Chad's point too, is that that could have added to my cramps as the extra right. amount of weight I'm holding sure myself did. up for another 40 minutes. I'm sure it did. It's just constant muscular activation. I mean, you're, there's no rest. Yeah, with, uh, with my second lap, I felt just fine on the descent. Uh, there were no problems at all. Uh, third lap, that descent couldn't have been over soon enough. It was, I was really worn out by that time and it was really hard. Any bump that was coming up, I, I was trying my best to be smooth and just soak them up and carry momentum so I didn't have to jam through things too hard. And my hands, my wrists, my, my elbows, my everything. I was just, I was, I was beat up at that point. It was pretty rough. So yeah, something else I noticed with descending really quick, just with a lot of people that were descending on this course is, uh, this course really punished this, but it's always a good idea to exercise this principle. But when you're descending, always favor smooth over fast and you'll end up being faster. Uh, this one especially because we would be going and then suddenly you'd have a sharp turn or you'd have a yeah. spot where the trail was i don't know if you guys noticed this but the trail was really blown out compared to and what i mean by blown out is a lot of traffic over it had worn down the surface of the dirt moved rocks into new spots um, maybe washed the trail away in certain spots so being smooth instead of just focusing on going as fast as you can i think that really paid off for me on the descent so yeah uh- I'm already worried about, again, single track six about my upper body strength because, again, I had the broken collarbone. 
yeah. and I'm a lot weaker right now. Did that hurt you at all? Like, I mean, not like your performance, did that actually cause pain? Your uh, a, a little bit of pain when I'm pumping stuff, but not enough to... Okay. The whole body hurts, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I saw, Jonathan, you were just doing some push-ups rows with dumbbells yeah, before Renegade. this. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I feel like I need to do some upper body conditioning. Yeah. And I'm, I'm planning on doing uh, uh, deadlifts, bench, and dips, kind of. Yeah. Those are my core, get my back, and some ab work. Yeah. Get my backs and triceps better. You need it. You need it on mountain biking. You know, it's something that Chad and I were talking about, too, the... The, the kilojoule expenditure that we show uh, really doesn't represent... It's a low-end estimate at best. Yeah, because on mountain bikes, that's that's just showing what your legs did in terms of spinning and turning the pedals over. That doesn't even show what your legs did in terms of the squatting position, basically, that you maintain the whole yeah, way exactly. when you're descending. Um, because on the first two laps on that descent, I never sat down. So, yeah. um, and it's like a 14, 15 minute descent. So you're basically doing wall squats, you know, the whole time. It's, it's pretty tricky. So... Uh, it doesn't fully represent the amount of work that your body did. It's a very demanding. It's just how much power went to the pedals. Yeah. There's so much more going on. Mm -hmm. So before we get to bike setup, I have some mistakes that I'd like to talk about that kind of. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, one. Okay. So not enough please water. Please tell us about your mistakes. Yeah. We're all eager. <laughs> Obviously not enough water. Uh, I could have put a, a bottle in the Jersey, but I thought about this afterwards and Jonathan's going to say this is stupid because mm -hmm. nobody does it. Mm -hmm. But as a triathlete, having a single bottle behind the saddle that is so easy to reach, so easy to put in and out. And I, if you get a grippier enough cage, I think it would have stayed in there. Can you do that with a dropper post? Sure. Uh, yeah, you could. Yeah. With, with, specialized, out. with specialized saddles, you can do, they, they have a, a spot for you to bolt in a cage directly to the saddle. So you don't have to like strap anything to it. That would be an easy way to do it. But I, I, I genuinely, no matter what, I think your bottle would eject right out of there. That's what I'm thinking. It's too high on the bike. It's going to. Also, that's the big problem to me. It's just you're putting so much weight high up on the bike. That's a terrible choice. I told you he wouldn't like it. Yeah, it's a bad idea. You um, want to, whenever you put weight on your bike like that, you want to put it down low and central, uh, ideally, because that's just going to stop that weight from affecting how your bike handles adversely. I don't think it would have slowed me down. And having a, uh, a bottle in my jersey pocket, I'd rather have it on the saddle, I think, than in my jersey pocket, just for ease of in and out. I'm just going to a Camelback. I'm going to try that out for a while. Yeah, you know, yeah. I had a I had a bottle in my jersey pocket the whole time. Never once caused a problem. Uh, stuck right to me. But you're really good. And <laughs> no, I got to say the same thing. Once I had that bottle, it wasn't the easiest bottle to open, so yeah. it wasn't a fair representation of what I'd actually experienced. But uh, that that wasn't a bad. It wasn't a bad thing. No, not at all. Hmm. That and actually worked quite well. Just opening yeah, the bottle. We're doing it. And He'll you can climb pull. On. You Wait. can pull them out. You can. It's. It also. Uh, because most bottles have a tapered bottom to them, it's pretty easy to get it in and mm -hmm. out of your jersey or out back yeah, you into your jersey Yeah, you just catch it with your forefinger and slip it in. I mean, once you yeah. got the technique, it's no problem at all. And it's pretty quick, so pretty, pretty quick draw. Describe the technique again. You just hook it with your forefinger, hook pull the pocket open. Pocket. Okay. Yeah, pull the, pull it open and then just kind of slip the, okay. the bottle in back. Right in. We have a hill climb on Thursday. Well, one thing really quick on this though, if you, uh, we both or all three of us have kit that fits pretty tight to us. Mm -hmm. So if you have like baggy jerseys, mm. then that would be annoying uh, because, and I was saying like a baggy free ride jersey, but like- uh, Not recommended in that case. Yeah. It has to be pretty, pretty form fitting. You don't want, and, and this same goes with the camelback. If you have a camelback and it's not really tight to your body, it's really going to affect the way that your body moves on that bike adversely, not positively in any way. So so on Thursday when we have a, we have a hill climb, and how long does that hill climb take? Uh... It depends. It usually ends up having like 60 mile an hour headwinds every time we do it, it seems. So it takes a long time. Uh, it's, I think it's 17 miles and, or 16 miles, something like that. 
it'll probably end up taking us around, uh, I, I think I'm off on that. I bet it'll take us somewhere around an hour and a half or so. So oh, I wow. think that it's... Uh, so, and it's going to be like 94 degrees? Yeah, and we climb from about just under 5,000 feet, so like 4,700 feet, and I think we, and then we climb up to around 8,500. Yeah, let me know how that goes. <laughs> You're not going to do it? <laughs> no. I can beat you. I'm, I'm, vaca- I'm vacationing the next day, so uh, no. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, called the Peavine Hill Climb. If anybody's done Peavine, the workout, it doesn't re- doesn't reflect what you face on the road or on the on this climb, and it's all dirt, um, so yeah. Maybe I'll try two bottles that day. Both in my jersey. Yeah, I'm just running one bottle on that one, um, just uh, because I'm not me. But <laughs> not after it, what happens. It, it fascinates me that you're such a weight weenie, but you'll carry this much water. Yeah, because well, I don't want to cramp it. Yeah. yeah. But and also, but this does make sense for you though. To even if you did just have one bottle, just that's a great o- example of a great time to try something yep. new. Yeah. So then you can try putting that one in your jersey pocket. Yeah, this is definitely a, this is going to replace a workout. Um, it's smooth. Yeah, it's not technical, and it's just uphill. And if I fall over going six miles per hour, I fall over going six miles per hour. Yeah, for the first mile and a half, it rolls, and then after that, it's just uh, consistent and frustrating. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that uh, the having the bottle b- below your bike, which I didn't realize until I did it as every stream crossing, you'd get gunk on it. Mm. And when I would try to drink it, it was full of grit and grime. Stream and crossing or not, there's so much dirt down there. Oh yeah. yeah. It's yeah. I cake. mean, even if you don't cross streams, you're just going to get plenty of dirt, but that's, that's mineral. It was like, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, but it was like, luckily it's just snow melt. But if you're in another place, you can seriously get sick from that. Oh yeah. Mm. Like yeah. if it's stagnant water. Yeah. And a lot of people bring that up is, is why they never want to run a underside bottle cage. And yeah, I mean, thinking of like the Northern California region, there are a lot of spots where it's free range cattle there and if you're riding through trails it's just covered in 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 yeah in waste that's pretty disgusting so 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 after our race but the day the but the day after sorry the afternoon after our race i talked to keegan swenson who got second in the pro race the next day yeah and he talked about his strategy for hydration because i was just all sad about ours yeah and you know we should have done we could have done this it would have been so amazing we have chad employees we could (laughs) have place them around the course with bottles for us sure and have. food and they could have handed actual bottles because this thing too was just cup refills yeah we could have had them like i can't uh, believe we didn't think of that of all these <laughs> different we could have had three guys and people too they're mountain bikers they would have loved to like mm-hmm. ride their bikes up there and wash the race anyways we'd mm-hmm. pay them like the regular hourly rate and they could have given us bottles that'd be pretty sweet, that would have been amazing right yeah, we yeah so that. And that was one thing that i actually submitted to the guys at epic rides i i so the 50 mile race, which we haven't even really talked about my race, we'll get to that in a bit, but the 50 mile race, we, we covered, um, I, I should say, we, you know, we were the first ones off in the morning and I was hoping that they would at least have something like top 20 get bottles. That's somewhat common in these type of races. And they didn't have that. And that was a big disappointment for me. Uh, basically meant you had to get off your bike, uh, to get a bottle and, and that top 20 group with ours, uh, it was about 25 of us. It was, it was not slow, right? It was very competitive. So that was uh, that was something that I really wish they w- they would have had in this situation. I really wish we would have had uh, like ten or twenty bucks extra to have bottles at all the stations. Oh, I would have totally, totally paid that on yeah, the yeah. race station. But I, this- if you're listening, uh, Todd or anybody from that, I guarantee you, if you put that as an option, like twenty dollars to guarantee yourself a bottle, oh. People yeah. would absolutely do that. So. The other thing, um, the takeaway from this is I know other people don't usually have train road employees to, to yeah, do it yeah, for yeah. them. Just having your um, uh, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, uh, a kid. Friend. A friend. Anyone who's going to be there at the race anyways, instead of having them watch you at the start, 
have them hike up like halfway through away from an aid station mm-hmm. to give you a bottle at like a, a nice spot. And I know um, Trevor DeRousse, who's a pro mountain biker, he had his girlfriend come with him and every pro race, she'd be there. And the pros always have somebody for them, right? Mm-hmm. Or usually. Usually. Yeah. To, to give um, them bottles. And we could have, oh, it would have been great. Chad, that would have. Yeah, that was a big miss. Yeah. I could have, could have been, could have been the day. Yeah. Could have helped for sure. <laughs> yep, maybe. Should, should we go over my, my race really quick? Yeah, because um, you you were in a bad way. Yeah, that was probably the worst I've felt after a bike race. I was, and not only physically but but mentally too. So number one, uh, so we started off uh, pretty early, and the the pace was way higher than I thought it was going to be. Which I had a plan to stick to things, and I think that I did a good job of sticking to it uh, despite the bad result for me. But uh, everyone went really hard. Lance uh, passed me on the on the first climb, and he was going hard. Ah. So yeah, and I grabbed his wheel for a bit. Then I was like, "No, this is this is silly. He's gonna crack." Um, he did end up actually kind of cracking too. So, but he still did well. He's he beat me, I think, by one position or something like that. So terrible. <coughs> Should have beat him, but um, but kudos to him. That was that was good stuff. They, I just tried to stick within, I was riding with a good friend of mine. We weighed the same. His bike was about three and a half pounds lighter though. He was, uh, his name is Brian Gordon and he's one of the product developers for specialized. So he has all the good stuff, right? Like all the best stuff. But, uh, he and I both said, let's just try to keep it under 250 as much as possible. And we just tried to stay under 250 and we watched people ride away from us on the first climb. And then we were able to sticking to a plan like that, especially on a hot day, we were able to reel them in and on the descent. When you say keep it under 250, what percentage of your threshold is that? So, yeah, good point. Uh, so for me right now, my threshold is right around 300. So, so you're yeah. talking about 75% or yep. uh, 80%? Around 80%. 80%. Yeah, and that's a lot lower than what I was doing. I was climbing at 280 at 305 FTP, yeah. but you had three laps. Yeah, and we were trying to be – and so, I mean, it was conversational for me and Brian going up the first time. And, and we did have to a few times kind of give it a little more gas just to stay in front of people because we knew the descent was coming up. And I told Brian – look, the last thing we want to do is let people that are not going to be fast descending get in front of us because we will blow through them here. And uh, I was able to pass, I think, somewhere around seven, no, yeah, seven, maybe nine people on the first descent and uh, had Lance and the rest of the crew right in view after that. And man, uh, the heat absolutely melted me. I don't know about you guys, but um, I had, uh, that I think was the main thing that absolutely shelled me on this race. But that, that was one of the worst situations I've had with heat in my life. So I was uh, going up the, one of the steep sections. I felt like I was cooking and I wasn't sweating. Uh, keep in mind, this is like the first hard race or first hot race of the year, but I wasn't sweating and I was kind of worried about that. I was like, uh, body, you should be sweating right now. It's very yeah, I, warm. I wonder about that though. Cause I, I, I wasn't visibly sweating either. I mean, it was hot enough and it was dry enough and there was a little bit of airflow. So I know the sweat was coming out. It just wasn't making, making it to anywhere visible. So I, I question whether people or not around me with sweat stains, dripping sweat, everything. I can't imagine not sweating, sweating in that heat. I, I mean, wasn't if dripping. your body can't dissipate heat. You can't do work. I, and that was, and that's basically what ended up happening is I got right. to a spot where there's a really loose kind of steep climb and I should have walked it because climbing it, I was nearly, nearly the same speed. And instead I climbed it and being that it was loose and steep, it required a whole lot more than just pedaling. It required you carrying tension through your whole body to try to maintain traction and respond to little rocks rolling out from underneath yeah, you. It was a hard stretch and it was very hot right there. Yep. And that cooked me. And I genuinely, like you said, Chad, uh, I had so much heat. I felt like I was cooking from the inside out. I couldn't get rid of it. That's what sounds like my race was too. Yeah. And couldn't one thing, get rid of the heat. So I, I, instead of the normal aero helmet, like the road aero helmet that I do is I did a light, the specialized S-Works Highly vented. Yeah. Yeah. That was great choice. Smart choice. But I also felt, and I get this with running a lot 
but is that feeling when you run when there's a slight tailwind, you can get so, so hot. Mm. And uh, mm. we'd either be going so slow or I think there would be a slight tailwind where just a couple times you'd go around a bend and you would feel a headwind. And then like my whole body would get – I could feel the sweat. Everything. It would, yeah, it, would, it was very nice. But I wasn't getting the evaporative cooling that you normally get mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. before that. But I wasn't dripping sweat either. It was so dry. and Yeah. yeah my, skin, my skin was just bone dry, zero moistness, anything to yeah, it. It I was bad. I, I think I could say the same. No. I don't – Remember yeah, seeing anything collecting? Too. Yeah, it was. I I could not get rid of heat, and it was terrible. So I stopped in the aid station just up the road, and it took me nearly ten minutes of them using a hose on my head for me to actually feel like I could was cooled down enough to continue. Uh, it was uh, serious stuff. It wasn't just like I'm really hot. I'm really tired. It was it was serious stuff. It was abnormal for sure. So. Once I got and I lost, I went back to probably somewhere around 30th uh, position after that. After sitting at that point, we were around fifth. And uh, I ended up just going back out there and just being as conservative as I possibly could and working through. And and it was painful and uncomfortable, but uh, ended up coming down there to the finish. The best part is when Jonathan, (laughs) when Jonathan's Jonathan's usually a pretty uh, positive guy at the end of the race. You, I've never seen you like blank look on your face. Look, you oh, just yeah. got back from Vietnam, yeah. and then you're you uh, were so negative. You were like, I, "That was not fun. It I wasn't. hated that. I did. I'm not going to be on the bike for three weeks." Yeah. I'm like, "Sure, you will be." You're like, "Nope, not I've, three weeks." How many I, times have you been on the bike since then? Once, and I actually preferred not to be on it. Um, in terms of, I, I'm no, you've done more than that. I see you did an indoor ride, and you did an outdoor oh, yeah. ride with well, Ian. training inside. Yeah. But the, the only other time was uh, we actually got to – it was this part was fun. Uh, we got to ride with, a, with a, tr- a podcast listener, which is pretty awesome. He was in town visiting. But right. no, in terms of in, like desire to go hop on my bike, I have zero. That, those type of – and this, is, this comes to, down to something too. You know, I stuck to the 50 to kind of just – I figured it would make for an interesting story. And it would be something that would you know be tough for me. Sure, it was tough, but I should have been more wise. Uh, those type of races, just long races like that. Like I, even with lost and found was the same thing. It very much sucks out the enjoyment that I have for riding my bike. And for me, that is a big part of why I ride the bike. I can't just be a machine. I'm not just a person that's just like 100% results focused. Um, or like I, I thrive so much on just, you know, getting PRs and the training so much. I need to have that, that end goal. And so much of that end goal is enjoyment for me. And no, this, this race definitely got rid of a lot of motivation. I've got a week in Whistler coming up and I'm uh, everybody else that we're going with is overjoyed, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, come on over to the lower lower performance side of things so. with me. It's it's uh, much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or just not as long. That's the main not thing. Not as long. It's it's just uh, I don't enjoy those long those long ra- races. The Chad, thirty five miles. Did you like that distance? Yeah, so far the these four hour events have been just right. Yeah, me too. Any, any longer than that, and I think I'd really stop enjoying myself. Any shorter than that, and I maybe would feel a little bit underchanged. I agree. Thirty five was great. The first lap, if the whole race was just one lap, that would have been a great like every other weekend race. Mm-hmm. But as like a build up, the two laps, thirty five miles was great. Um, this we should talk about this later, but Mauna Kea. Sounds way less appealing now because that's like an eight, nine hour climb. That's but there's something about that though that's different, right? It's Ugh. not just like, um, for me. It's twice as long. That's what's different. Yeah, that's true. But for me, there's something about that that is very different. I mean, it's one of the longest climbs in the world. Once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, 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 right? There's there's something, there's something. There's something. <laughs> it will be that. I'm doing that twice. <laughs> yeah, there's something to that more than just, um, you know, instead of 35, you're going to do 50 miles. And, and on a mountain bike too, if this climb was on a mountain bike, 
Mount Achaia the whole time. I would not be too keen on that too. You know, like it's, um, for mountain bikes, I like short, hard races, uh, on a road bike. Sure. It can be a longer event. Um, but it's very particular deal. Yeah, I am. Well, and that's just because I have to be real with myself and that, that's what I enjoy is, is I enjoy specific things. So, yeah. so, uh, one last thing before we get to the bike setup is that the second lap, there was that really technical section. And we talked in the previous podcast that we should have sessioned it, mm-hmm. but in my race, there were so many people walking it that yeah. you couldn't ride it. It was impossible. And we, like you were forced to walk it, mm-hmm. um, even though it was spread out a little bit, but the people were close enough where. Even, even when it spread out, it. You, you got back to another group and then all it took was one person to lose it. And it's, everyone, nobody rode through. And where I was in the race, not a single person rode through it. When we were in, and I was lapping through behind you guys and everybody at that point definitely wasn't trying to race their way through anything. And that was really frustrating. Uh, we had a close race going on with, I think, five of us. And it yeah. was, you know, the type of thing where, like, if he, if somebody made a mistake, there were elbows being thrown to get by each other. And we had so many situations where, bless their hearts, they were just so tired and practically delirious out there. And that, heat overwhelmed. I mean, oh, yeah. It, it was so hot. No one wanted to do any hard work right there. And I couldn't well, and, blame a person. And they would, they were not off the trail, right? So basically yeah. got to a point where anytime it was technical, there'd be a whole queue of people and... You know, we'd be yelling ahead to let them know kindly. We wouldn't be like, you know, yelling mean at them, but uh, we'd be kindly saying, you know, riders coming up, riders coming up, but they were just so out of it. They wouldn't move out of the way. Caused a lot of frustrating, frustrating moments on that second and third lap. So, And just so everyone, just to be clear, Jonathan did not lap me. I didn't. Like, like everyone, <laughs> all my Stravas. That would have been really hard to lap you, you know? You'd have to, well, I'd have to be a lot slower. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, even with my cramps, I think I still 30 minutes difference or something like that. 30 minutes difference to the fastest person in our group. So, yeah, but you guys started earlier. That's true. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. So, so uh, you guys want to talk about bike setup? Sure. Another mistake I made. Yeah, sure. That I turned into a positive. So I uh, am not the most experienced mountain bike mechanic. This blows my mind. And I had my front fork locked the entire <laughs> race. The entire race. <laughs> that is crazy. Like, I don't, I, and here's the weird thing. You said you felt good. That was the best I felt oh. on a mountain bike. And afterwards, I, I measured it. I used 60% of my front suspension, which is a 130, and 60% of my rear, which is a 114. And we should cover really quick, for those that maybe are not familiar, when you lock out a, um, a rock shocks pike or even like a fox fork like this, this doesn't mean that it's rigid. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is still some give. It's just there's a whole lot more compression and rebound damping in most cases. So I, that means that it compresses. Uh, it's much more resistant to compression, and it's also much more resistant to sl- to popping back really quickly. And I liked both of those feelings. This is I felt the most like in tune with the trail. And it's just crazy, right? Because it's yeah, that's a very noob thing. For anybody else listening, do not ride with your fork locked out thinking that that's going to make you feel better. Be like Nate. <laughs> nope, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so this got me thinking is, is a long or not even like a trail bike with a medium travel, mm-hmm. right? Even on the lesser side of travel, right for me, since I like a very like, almost like a cross bike. I like moving the bike yeah, below me and taking the suspension up. With your body. Yep. And having less uh, move during it. So I think that's a product of coming from a road background. I think that's all it is. We haven't, we haven't gotten used to making or properly utilizing suspension yet. Cause I I do the same thing when I lock it out. It's like, Oh, I'm so much more comfortable, but I'm not utilizing what the bike's capable of because I haven't yet adapted to it. I haven't figured it out. Yeah. And I, and I, so 
I think that what you're sub- hunting for, Nate, is a more supportive feel in the stroke of the suspension. Like you want to feel like you have a firmer platform because that gives you a more direct feeling in, or direct feeling of what your bike is doing underneath you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're able to discern traction. You're able to discern how the bike is handling better. Is that that accurately presented? I yeah, on the descents. The yeah, hills fine. Right, just on the yeah. descents yeah. part. Yeah. yeah. So and and that's something that's really common. Uh, however, I think that we're gonna and we'll find this out because you've got your eyes uh, on a new bike. Uh, but I think that we're going to find something out here. I see a lot of road racers cross over, which a lot of people listening to this are road racers. They'll cross over to mountain bikes and they think I'm a roadie. I wear Lycra and I don't like visors on my helmets. So what I need is the most, you know, XC or close to road bike pretty much thing that you have. So they'll get something like a specialized Epic or they'll get something like, you know, a giant Anthem or whatever else it may be like the XC bike. We're just used to having bikes that are very responsive and predictable. Mm -hmm. And the tricky thing is what you do is you put yourself in a situation where you're lacking bike skill, comparatively speaking to the trails you'll ride or to the people you'll be riding with. And you're putting yourself on a bike that is less capable. So basically that just means that your mistakes are going to be less buffed out. They'll be magnified rather than, than kind of smoothed out. Uh, So I think that that will be kind of a learning curve for you, Nate. I think that what will happen is that you will feel much more comfortable 90% of the time, but then the small little mistakes will be magnified, which is I don't make mistakes. So, (laughs) Um, but it's like, I haven't, I've been riding this bike for over a year, right. And just felt bad. And then I locked my front shock out and I put too much probably air in the back. And then I, like I went up. I think I was in the top quarter and part of the, some of the descents of all the riders that day mm-hmm. from being like bottom 10%. You also switched your front tire over too. That's another uh, technical change you made. Well, I don't, I don't want to make Nate's case for him, but yeah. the second or the, the one time that we had to go through the technical climb, which we had pre-ridden. So I knew mm-hmm. what, what we were up against the times that I did get stay on my bike. I actually rode all the stretches. The only time Good I job. came off of it was when someone stopped in front of me or, or there was nice a line work. of people in front of me. So but my suspension was locked out because just oh, yeah. before it is a paved stretch and I forgot to unlock my suspension. So I did that entire climb unlocked coming from a road background that actually suited me. Entire climb locked. Yeah. I don't think it's going to stay that way, but I do understand where Nate's coming from. I just think it's all part of, of that course. transitory process, trying to learn how to operate basically a new, new machine. So that, no, of course. So, so that, that, and let's, let's cover something really quick. The point of locking out suspension should be clarified so that we don't get to, to where people are confused. In situations where you have frequent small bumps, that's where if you have a hard tail or your suspension is locked out, you're going to lose time, right? Or frequent constant changes in in the terrain underneath you because it's going to be small little undulations that will stop you from maintaining traction and power to the the pedals, right? That said- Forward motion becomes upward motion. Exactly right. But if you're in a situation where you have uh, technical stuff, like in this course, the technical spots were- almost a little balancey, would you say? Like, you, Absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah, you were kind of, and there was like bigger rocks, right? Mm-hmm. That you were mantling Shale. up and over. Yeah. That type of stuff is almost always better to have your suspension firm or locked out. Because the reason is, if you're trying to balance over something, you want to, you don't want to be balancing on a waterbed. You want to be balancing on something that's more firm, mm-hmm. right? So in that situation, yeah, being locked out is great there. Um, you can also do it and, and in many cases carry more momentum if you're unlocked, right? If you're attacking things with a lot of speed, sure. But if you're going through stuff and it's slow speed and it's balancy, uh, it's probably a great well, it's, idea it's to have- It's worth mentioning that the pros, up. a lot of the pros, at least the guy we pre-rode with, they were using hardtail mountain bikes. Yeah, and it was a debate with them because their 
fear with those technical sections that we talked about that were balancey. There were a lot of sharp rocks yeah. and their reasoning for running a full suspension bike was to get more compliance at the speed that they carry through those sections. So then they wouldn't tear up a tire. That was their main concern. Uh, and then the only other time, really the reason that they all went to the hardtail was because the trail was smooth and didn't have constant bumps. Like we talked about, if it had a lot of constant bumps, like washboard or a lot of sections where it was just chunky rock for a long time, then they would have been on full suspension bikes. Gotcha. So, so I, I had the minion SS tires, 2.35, mm-hmm. and I liked them a lot, yep. but I think a new bike. So I think I can sell the Yeti and get a new bike and have it pretty much be a wash in terms of cost. So mm-hmm. I just switch one for the other. Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking about the Cannondale Slice. Scalpel, not Slice. That would be oh, a TT scalpel. bike. I wrote down. That would yeah. be bad. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> that would be a terrible bike. Scalpel and Slice. You can see both S's and both cutting. Yeah, yeah. The Cannondale Scalpel, which yeah. is uh, it's a cross-country bike, 100 front and rear travel. Mm-hmm. Best part, I can fit two bottles in the cage. Nice. In right? the frame. In yeah. the frame. Yeah. Uh, in the cage, yeah. In the frame. Uh, it has a remote lockout and it has the lefty fork, which is supposed to be very uh, stiff, laterally stiff. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, I'm going to demo one before I do it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We're trying to get me a demo bike that's big enough. And Cannondale says it's going to be, I'm too big for the bike, but I'm, I don't, I'm too big for all the bikes. Yeah, so. That's a problem you faced your whole life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every bike I've ridden, I'm too big for, but yeah. uh, I've ridden bikes with similar stack and reach and it's fine. Yeah. And it's a more, for a cross country bike, it's more, uh, a slack geometry, which we've mm-hmm. talked about a lot here. So it's it's more uh, kind of trail oriented, but not so much as my Yeti. So it might, we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. It'll be interesting, right? Yeah. Jonathan? Yeah. I, I think it's going to be like, so I do you said, consider your bike as a full on equipment, miss? Uh, no. I mean, it was, I, I would still totally race with it. Mm-hmm. I just think that I could even get better. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 yeah I got to say, so. the, the one equipment miss I had was the tires. The front tire was definitely overkill. Yeah. We knew that and I went with it anyway. And and, and Adam did this. So one of our, <clears throat> excuse me, one of our developers who joined us and actually rode really well, stopped at one point along the course and depressurized his tires a bit. Mm-hmm. And I was kicking that around the whole time. But, you know, in a race situation, there's never a point where it seems like this is a good spot to stop yeah. and take 30 yeah. seconds to let air out of my tires. But if right. I had done that, I know it would have made a difference because the ride we did just the other day with one of our subscribers and podcast listeners, I let five, uh, I think I reduced it by two pounds up front, three and back or vice versa. Either way, enough. And it was a very different ride on right. very similar terrain. Yeah, and, and and this is something that I don't think that you did anything wrong there, just because the bike is new and you're yeah. you're getting yeah, down no, to I'm it. just figuring stuff out. So, yep. but that was one thing I figured out. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think I made an equipment misstep uh, in my situation. The equipment was great, um, bike setup was good, tires were great, everything was was fine there. So, it was. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I learned was on the on the heat side of things. Uh, just I need to spend more time in the heat, and I. Don't also think that that was at any fault of mine, just because, man, coming into this, it was pretty Which tough. Which is why next time we're going to in-depth cover heat acclimation. Right. Yeah, we'll have a bunch of information on that, and you'll be able to cover. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to give you some actual insights into what you can do, so then you can avoid that terrible situation that I was in, where I was just having an old lady pour a hose over my head. Let, for let's tease it out. So I want to know what I can do before time to be better heat acclimated, yep. the science behind it. Yep. Anything else I'm going to learn? Uh just we're gonna we're gonna touch on some interesting studies. Just just we're gonna show how malleable the body actually is when it comes to acclimating or acclimating to heat, and actually simulating the changes or stimulating the changes that are necessary to allow us to work pretty hard to to race to a higher level or a higher percentage of our actual capabilities and not be so limited by the heat. 
and this is going to make this would be something good for single track six isn't going to be too hot but mm-hmm. the next hot race maybe north star could be pretty hot oh i'm sure, sure. will be hot sure. yep yeah. Which, and this is something you can do artificially and we're going to show you how to do that or tell you how to do that and it's something you can also do by just getting out and exposing yourself to it and if we do Mauna Kea, it's going to start super hot Started start at 100 and finish around 30. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be challenging in a lot of ways. Yeah, totally different. Are you sure you want to do that? Different ball of wax. <laughs> I'm sure I don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess I'm going to just recap on, on my biggest takeaways. Number one, uh, pacing plan with a race that long. It's really hard to stick to, but it does pay off. And I think that despite the heat stuff, I really do think it paid off because I was able to t- just tick people off that looked like they had spent four days at World War One in a trench uh, after I was passing them on the you last You look like lap. Vietnam, man. So, yeah, I didn't look great myself. A little shell shock there. I was still able to pick them off, though. And I guess that's my point is on a long race like this, especially one that's going to be technical, pacing was something that I did really well. Uh, on the downside heat. Uh, I should spend more time listening to Ch- coach Chad's advice on the next episode, uh, so that I can be better with handling that. So that's my positive and negative takeaway. I think that covers it, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's all I, I got have anything else to add. So thank you. Epic rides for a killer race in our backyard. That was pretty fun to have. So next year, Jonathan, 35 miler. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that, is, are you saying, yeah, yeah, because you don't want to do the race at all, or you want to maybe still do the 50? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I just don't know what the course will be like. Mm. Chances are it will be very different from what we had this year. So if it it goes up to Tahoe, I mean, I think that that's the thing. Uh, Last year, the 35 went up to Tahoe as well. They were able to bring it down. I think it was just over. It was like 37 miles or something. Yeah. And a much less technical course, right? Uh, Yeah. Much less. And I, and I, which is why we signed up for in the first place. Nate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And, and something that I certainly would not look forward to is the lack of technicality because that was a, a huge, like, that was the only part of the course that I, you know, the, the, the descent, that's what I relished. That's what I looked forward to. And it was the mental carrot the, to keep me positive and keep me going through. So who knows what the course is? We'll find out. And also a little hashtag too soon on this one for me to, to get right back into it. So uh, it was pretty rough. It was a hard day. Yeah, we keep so. picking races that end up being a lot harder than they're described. Yeah. Yeah. They, the, the saying with marathons is you don't sign up for your next marathon until you've forgotten about your last one. <laughs> Yeah, and I because, need some time. Yeah. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, if we forgot anything or if you have any questions on our setups or if you have any questions on specific things uh, on, on how you should prepare or execute at your next race, you can let us know. Just go to trainerroad.com slash podcast. You can submit your questions there. We do read through every single one of them, and we will be back uh, at the end of this week, actually, to answer more of the questions that you've already submitted to us. So thank you for doing so. Uh, thanks, everybody. Chat soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.